Hello and welcome back to Pop Culture Double Date. Uh, my name is Darren. I'm joined by Ger- Gerald, Maggie, and Anija. And today we're going to do a full spoilers podcast on Ant Man and the Wasp. And this is kind of welcome back, everybody, because we haven't podcast for a while. Um, the last podcast we did was the season finale of Westworld. So, yeah, faithful listeners, we're back. All <laughs> one of you. <laughs> <laughs> You mean all four of them? Oh, exactly. <laughs> oh, make, make, make that three. I don't listen to it. <laughs> oh, Gerald! 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 Boo! Boo! <laughs> um, yeah, so l- let's, let's have a chat about Ant-Man and the Wasp. I, I think Mags and I went to see this about two weeks ago, I think. So we roughly still remember it, I guess, and I think you guys went to see it last weekend, is that right? Yeah, we did. Um, so yeah, what do you think? It's the next Marvel film after Avengers Infinity War, but clearly not a continuation of Infinity War. Um, what did you guys think? Did you guys like it? I had heaps of fun. Like, I thought it was so funny. Um, I really loved all the moments between Scott and his daughter. Like, when you watch them do, do that whole sequence um, where they're going on this adventure and they go down the slide and they, they steal the, whatever they're, they're looking for, didn't you just wish that you'd been able to do something like that with your parent, with, with your dad when you were little? Like, it was just so great. Like, so great. Um, as unrealistic as it was, it was so great. And how else would a superhero play with um with his daughter anyway um loved the i don't know what his name is but he used to act on fresh off the boat he plays he plays the policeman the like oh, Chinese oh my yeah, god he's Park. so funny i love him so much i just think he's hilarious like the way he delivers his lines is just hilarious like so straight faced and just so funny um so all of the characters were really likable except for michael douglas who i can never really warm to in any <laughs> in any context that i watch him in but evangeline lily we love from lost um so yeah it was just so funny so much fun um i didn't mind at all that there were smaller stakes like Yes, this wasn't about saving the world or saving the galaxy, um, but it was really emotional stakes in terms of saving, you know, the mother that um, that the wasp um, hope had lost so long ago, um, and even like even the the character of, of Ghost, I could really like sympathise and feel for, like the idea that she just lost her parents um, and was just in so much pain all the time and was trying to, and that that pain had just twisted her and she was trying to find an end to that um yeah i just thought it was great really enjoyed it what about you gerald yeah i thought it was i thought it was a lot of fun i thought it was a fun little palate cleanser after the heavy seriousness of avengers infinity war and um the movie uh depended heavily upon the charm of paul rudd in the role of scott lang and um evangeline lily i think got a more prominent role this time around than in the first ant-man which was good Apparently, uh, this is the first time that a Marvel film has included the female superhero's name in the title. Oh, really? Yeah, I yeah. That, that sounds about that sounds about right because I don't remember it. I don't remember a movie called uh, Captain America and Black Widow. Yeah, um, <laughs> sounds about right. And you know, I thought in many ways she was 
more heroic than he. She seemed to have kicked more ass. Um, and um, so she, in a sense, um, is is more the hero in the, in the film than he is. Uh, I, I think if there is a problem with the movie, it's that there were so many plot lines jammed into it and some of them didn't get much justice. For instance, the story of Sam Birch, the um, black market seller of illegal uh-huh. technology. I mean, he's played by Walton Goggins, otherwise known as Boyd Crowder from Justified, and he is genuinely one of the greatest actors in the history of television. And he, he finds himself constantly casting these sort of generic villain roles in films. He was in Tomb Raider, mm. and he was in this. And whilst usually I can listen to Walt, uh, to Walton Goggins spout sort of vaguely threatening lines in his um, overbroad southern accent any day of the week, I just thought he was wasted in this film because it was such an underwritten role. Um, he, you know, we're told that he works for um, some nasty people, but we never meet those nasty people. We don't know how bad they are. Um, and I think the um, the villain. Um, the other villain, Ghost, is similarly underwritten. I think the the performance is okay, but um, there there seems to have been a slight relapse um, into the Marvel uninteresting villain problem um, after the the heights of Thanos in Infinity War. Um, the the other thing that bugged me about this movie is we don't get an explanation as to why Ant Man or the Wasp were absent during Infinity War. I think the timeline is that the events of this movie took place before um, the events of Avengers Infinity War, yeah. and then at the mid-closing credits, Stinger um, coincides with that moment in Infinity War when um, half the universe vanishes into ash. Um, now, there is a lot between the f- conclusion of the body of the movie and the start of that Stinger, and we don't get told anything about what happened in between, least of all why it is that Ant-Man and the Wasp went MIA during the events of Avengers Infinity War. So there's something slightly odd there. Um, You know, in Infinity War, we at least got some sort of one-line explanation as to why Hawkeye wasn't around. We didn't get that before. I don't recall us getting that for Ant-Man. So it would have been nice to have gotten that explanation. We didn't get it, but in a sense, it's no real biggie. Um, even though the Marvel Universe is constructed with such precision that these sorts of things usually get some sort of attention. So on the whole, um, a good sit. Fun time at the cinema. Yep, yep. Uh, Mags, do you want to shoot? Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I had such a good time watching this movie. Um, I agree. It was a really fun, lighthearted romp through um, through uh, another Avengers sort of, I guess, B-cast um, uh, movie universe. It felt like a Saturday morning cartoon to me with good guys and bad guys and witty one-liners. Um, and I agree, it wasn't really about character development or sort of complex plots, but more seemed to have the role of lightening the mood of the Avengers series after a number of quite heavy-going movies. Mm-hmm. Um really enjoyed the dialogue by Louise, T.I. and Kurt. Um, I, I love that bit in particular where um, Louise um, gets the truth serum injected into him and he just goes full-blown Louise. And then they do those little skits, you know, where they um, the, the actors are um, acting out what he's saying. and That was so funny! Stuff. 
It was so funny. That, <laughs> that was, was like, that so was my, good. That was my favourite part of the movie. <laughs> it felt like Saturday Night Live kind of shoved <laughs> in the middle of, of the movie. And I thought that worked really, really well, and it, it did exactly what it was meant to do, which was just to make everybody laugh and enjoy themselves. So, I mean, yes, um, there were lots of plot holes. You had to suspend belief, but... You know, I think that was what we were meant to do, and I was more than happy to do that. Mm. Darren? Yeah. yeah, so, look, I think I think generally we kind of all agree with each other. Um, I definitely, I like this film. Um, I thought it was a really good-natured film. I thought it was light-hearted. I thought its heart was in the right place, right? So, um, in that regard, it was it was a good film. Um I, I don't feel like it was probably like one of my favorite Marvel films. It kind it kind of felt like it was a good film in my mind, not a great film, right? Um, mm. And yeah, it was you know it was funny, it was lighthearted. Um, the scope was limited, which I, I don't think necessarily is a bad thing. I, I completely agree that it felt a little bit like a Saturday morning cartoon, and I think it was intentionally done in that way, simply because they wanted a lighter sort of film. So, um, Gerald made the point earlier about how it feels like they've kind of gone a step backwards with the villains, in that, it, like, obviously, none of the villains here are a Thanos. Um, and I, I agree with that, but I, I'm not sure if, in their mind, it's a step backwards, or rather kind of I, I kind of felt like that was the intention of having villains like that because none of the villains were really villains per se. They were kind of just like even the Walter Goggins character, right? Like he's played in a sort of comedic sort of way. It, he's not he's never comes across as a genuine threat, right? There's no villain mm. who you kind of think to yourself, okay, that guy is really gonna hurt our heroes, or has really bad intentions. So, Walton mm. Goggins, his character is like this sort of, maf- well, you know, this underworld sort of shady businessman guy, but his offsiders are all like comic relief, right? They have the whole truth serum gag where they've, he's got one of his offsiders and, you know, they're discussing whether it's a truth serum or not, and when you have that sort of gag running with your villains, it, it, it kind of takes a little bit of the edge off them. So, it mm. feels like... Um, like a family sort of, I say Saturday morning cartoon, but it's kind of like a family film style villain, right? Where it's it's almost like the Home Alone villains, right? They're they're kind of not like they're bad people, but they're not like they're not going to kill anybody. Or and I think there's like no one dies in this film, right? Like if you think about it, it's pretty rare in a Marvel film where no one dies. And mm. in this film, everybody, even the bad guys, they kind of you know they get hit in the head or like you know they get tied up and caught um and then the other bad guy who's the ghost right she i mean (laughs) i guess one of the issues i had with her was that you know if they had a five minute conversation they would have not have been enemies (laughs) right (laughs) they could have resolved that by just saying hang on let me go get my wife now because I've got a 15-minute window to do that. Immediately afterwards, I will turn around and help you, and we'll get your problem solved. Done. Well, she couldn't <laughs> trust him. Because she couldn't trust him because he was responsible for the death of her father and mother. So she wasn't going to 
to trust him, right? Like all she was invested in was was finding an end to her pain. And why would she hand that over to in good faith to this man who had pretty much been the reason why her father is dead and why she's in this position in the first place when she could control or try to control the situation herself and just get just take what she wanted. Yeah. But I, I think Hank Pym doesn't necessarily... He, he's not directly the cause, right? He's kind of indirectly the cause. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, t- I take your point. Um, I, I, I just kind of... I, and then, you know, the way she her storyline gets resolved is kind of like this sort of family movie... Like, if you think about the resolution of this film, it's kind of like this family movie resolution where the good guys mm. win, Scott manages to race back home and avoid the parole officer, like, avoid the parole <laughs> officer catching him, and, um, you know, like, Michelle Pfeiffer appears out of the thing, the family gets reunited, and in doing so, she uses magical powers to kind of, like, heal ghost right so it's kind of like it it feels it's feel good because it's made like that sort of family movie where you know the good guys win the bad guys either get their comeuppance or kind of um come to some sort of accord with the good guys and it's all like happy right um Mm -hmm. so yeah look i i I liked it i I thought it was it was i mean it's a comedy right first and foremost this was a comedy so, yeah, it wasn't going to be dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, even Lawrence Fishburne's character, aka Morpheus, he just came across as a cranky old man. Yeah, absolutely. Because one man just with with Hank Pym, and that was about it, really. And that yeah, was okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because when you when you first see his character, you think that he's going to be a villain. Because you you've seen so many Marvel films where you've got this mild mannered guy who later turns out to be this horrible. Creep, right? And then he just turns out to be like a disgruntled ex-employee, and who's actually a really nice guy. Like, it's just like everybody is kind of nice in this film. It's <laughs> look, I, um, it it felt like for me, it felt like one of these films that I watched, a wholesome film I watched as a kid when I was growing up. Right? It had this eighties, nineties, like sort of wholesome family feel, film feel to it and i like it i i think those films like are sort of rare 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 nowadays i guess and mm. um to that extent especially when they're done well and they're actually really funny and entertaining yeah, right? yeah yeah agreed 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 so um yeah um so i i, I guess the the other thing that i kind of thought um about this film was that um i liked how from a genre perspective it was so, so. There was that family film aspect to it, but then, did you guys feel that there was a heist aspect to this film? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if because I, of all the car chases, right? And because yeah. there's the booty, there's the lab that they're always kind of passing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because it's it's kind of. I don't know if heist is the right genre. And Gerald, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But you know, you have these like these criminal like it's. I don't know. Like you're it's, stealing, right? You're stealing from what the bad guys steal it, and then the good guys steal it back, and then the bad guys steal it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's like all these storylines kind of. Conver- it's kind of like I was saying to Mags, it, I don't know if it, there's a specific name for that sort of genre, but it's kind of like you know the sort of Guy Ritchie film, right? Where there are all these disparate sort of storylines, and they all converge on the MacGuffin, right? The, the MacGuffin being mm. the lab, right? They all converge on the MacGuffin, and the MacGuffin gets like 
sort of thrown around between the different groups, and then that's kind of what causes interest in the film, right? And, mm. like, when I was watching this, I kind of felt like, hey, this film feels like one of those sorts of films, but different because it's not this sort of edgy, wannabe, hardcore Guy Ritchie-style film, but... Like yeah. it's, it was so, it kind of subverted that when all the cars shrank. Like it was just yeah, yeah, so funny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was like yeah. this. Yeah, it was like this feel. Oh, that, yeah, that, that car chase is probably one of the most imaginative, innovative, and creative action sequences in the whole film because it's the movie set in San Francisco, and San Francisco is the setting for the movie with the first truly great film car chase bullet and in many ways the this car chase is kind of a tribute to and a stand-up of the car chase in bullet so there's a there's a very very famous sequence in a whole bunch of car chase movies set in san francisco which is a car coming over the hill and it's in the air and then sort of crash lands onto the crash lands back onto the road and there's a there's a shot in which it's a little toy car that's flying over the hill and lands back and it, it looks hilarious, particularly because there's a massive car, um, a massive normal-sized car, uh, coming um, hot to trot right after that, right after that little car. And so, if you know your San Francisco-based um, car chase movies, like um, uh, Bullet, like The Deadpool, like perhaps some other movie in the Dirty Harry series, um, the, that little that little sequence would just give you a real kick. And um, and I thought I thought that was absolutely hilarious. Yeah, agreed. I, I thought the like the use of the shrinking and it, like they've used that like obviously other times in Ant Man, but I thought that like the car car chase in particular, and then the shrinking of the lab and the way that that sort of thing kind of gets passed around, it, it was really cleverly mm-hmm. done. It was fun, right? It it, it, it was mm-hmm. re- it, it was it was fun. So um, yeah, it, it it was good in that. Is there um. Are there any other sort of interesting thoughts that we had about this film? I, I have I have two points. My first is, oh my god, how beautiful is Michelle Pfeiffer? Like, how good does she look? Like, does, <laughs> does anyone else just was just struck by how gorgeous she was? Anyway, that was my first point. The second point. <laughs> you realise though that in the, the first uh, the first time we see both Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer, they've been CGI'd to look a lot younger. Yes. No, yes. No, I don't mean the first time. I mean when they re- rescue her from the quantum realm. Like, I just thought she looked amazing. Anyway, anyway. But, um, so, I've been hearing this on the grapevine that, um, okay, so this is a potential spoiler. It's not a real spoiler, but it's a, it's a theory spoiler for the next Avengers movie. But I've been hearing that the quantum realm is going to play, is potentially going to play a really important part of the next Avengers movie, which is why they're kind of trying so hard to set it up quite so so heavy-handedly in in this movie um the idea being that if you can go into the quantum quantum realm and bring um michelle pfeiffer back from from you know from from nowhere then maybe you could bring back all of those people that Thanos uh disappeared with the click of his fingers um have you guys heard this and what do you think Ooh. Uh, no i haven't yeah I, I i haven't heard this either um so how is that? How would that be possible? So does that mean they'd still exist in the quantum realm? I know nothing more about it. it because it, it struck me as weird because it's not as though Thanos shrunk them, like he yeah. disappeared them. <laughs> but I've been hearing that that might be part of 
um, the storyline. And so I don't know. I think it's just a, a, like a Reddit-style theory at the moment. Um, oh. But it's, yeah, definitely out there. So something... Jack, you yeah. a, oh, no, no, I think you're about to say what I'm about to point to you about. So you go first. Yeah. So... Surely, they're all, surely they're all converging on the valley beyond. <laughs> you forgot Game of Thrones. What's the what's the Game of Thrones yeah. reference for this? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> I I look the one thing about the quantum realm that I notice is that you know when they are shrinking to get there. Did you guys notice that at one point, like the screen became the refraction? So you know when Doctor Strange goes into the astral plane, it always there's that refraction effect. They use that same effect when they go into the quantum Ooh. realm. There's a moment when they use that effect. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I don't feel like they would be recycling effects like that if there was mm. no connection. Totally. So my sense is that the quantum realm and the astral plane are connected in some way. Right. I, I, I don't know how. But, I mean, like, what's weird is that Michelle Pfeiffer comes back looking pretty damn good, right? And also... <laughs> She, like, has magic powers for no reason. So, I don't know, maybe she's just been training on the astral plane for, like, however long. Like, I don't know, maybe the, like, when you get small enough, you just end up in the astral plane or something, right? We don't really understand how all of these sort of separate universes and planes are kind of connected together, but... Darren, um, how great was that observation? Oh my god, I can't believe you noticed that. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm hallucinating. <laughs> right? So don't, <laughs> don't, don't put that on Reddit, right? Because <laughs> you're going to get smashed by about ten people who have like. <laughs> All these people are going to be like watching the pirated version of the film, but. but... <laughs> But, uh, look, I mean, I, I thought I saw that, um, because, like, I, I think the refraction effect for the astral plane was quite um, unique, right? So I was like, hmm, maybe, maybe, maybe they're linked in that way. So, yeah, who knows? And she's got, like, I guess one of the unsatisfying things for me is that she kind of just came out with magic powers. And it was like, no one really cared. It was and, just they like... this, and she had this pathetic... Explanation for it of what is she, is it adaptation or evolution? So we're supposed to think that you know as part of her ability to be able to survive so long in that plane, yeah. she acquired, she adapted, or she evolved in a way that would allow her to survive there and back in the real world. That gives her certain powers, but yeah. how she even knows that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and, and why she seems so certain of this, I don't know. Well, mentally, she seems so sound, right? If you think about it, if you've been trapped for, oh, I, don't I know, know, forty years, or, yeah, like it's wouldn't you be with nothing a but touch crazy? To yeah. Keep yeah. company, oh, yeah. totally. And then she just rocks up and is like, "Hey, everybody, I'm I'm fine. <laughs> Let, let's let's get on with it." It was like, "Oh wow, you're really balanced as an individual." <laughs> um. Did ever anybody find that Michael Douglas was... I found that young Michael Douglas was really disconcerting. For whatever reason, Michelle, young Michelle Pfeiffer looked kind of normal. And young Michael Douglas, I kind of felt like he fell into Uncanny Valley. Um, I don't know. Like, Michael Douglas, for me, didn't really... He didn't really do it for me. He was just like this sort of cranky... Cranky. Old, yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was like... 
He wasn't lovable. He never does it for me. I can't believe he's one of our, like, movie greats at the moment, just because he's older now. Like, <laughs> it's just never worked for me. <laughs> was he in that? Yeah, he was in that. He was also, I mean, I mean, his reputation is built off the back of, well, in the mid, in the seventies, he produced a lot of great films. So little known fact about Michael Douglas, he was one of the producers of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And then, yeah. And then in the eighties, um, there was Romancing the Stone and he won a Best Actor Academy Award for playing Gordon Gecko in Wall Street, in which, you know, mm. setting aside Wall Street 2, which was, Truly, truly awful. The original Wall Street with Michael Douglas playing Gordon Gecko was a fantastic film, and Gordon Gecko was a was a was a really iconic role um, for good and bad reasons. I mean, he was a great villain, but everyone who watched that movie and worked in finance for about twenty years afterwards thought he was really cool and decided to dress like him and talk like him. Um, and it's so hard to like separate the acting and the actor from the script and the rest of the story. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I find that yeah. really. But, but it's a really, it's a really charismatic and commanding oh, performance that he mm-hmm. gives in, in Wall Street. And the greed is good speech, which was meant to be actually a condemnation, which, which Oliver Stone had intended to be a condemnation of of you know the the Reagan materialism of the eighties. Um, has been taken by generations of investment bankers and hedge fund boards um, mm. ever since to be a, a statement of their creed. But mm. you know, and it, it, but it is in a tremendously well delivered speech, and the the way he commands and fills the screen in that particular moment in that movie is really um, something to behold. Mm. And he was, he was excellent in a movie in the. Mid '90s called Falling Down, where he plays this yeah, middle-aged man. Yeah, Falling Down is an amazing film. Yeah, yeah. That is that is quite possibly Joel Schumacher's only good film. I didn't even um, realize that was a Joel Schumacher film. I just I think I've it. seen him in a lot of really bad films. <laughs> I think that yeah. might be the problem. Yeah, <laughs> well, well, not no, bad I mean, films, but you know, in, where his role hasn't been quite so good. And look, I agree, he's totally charismatic. I think he loses some of that charisma in this movie, but yeah. Well, what do you think um, of the Hank Pym from Ant-Man 1 versus Hank Pym in Ant-Man 2? Do you think there's a difference? I can't even remember him from Ant-Man 1. This is the problem with these movies. They're not that – they're heaps of fun, but they're not necessarily yeah. that memorable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, w- I would say that – the see, I, I agree there, right? Like, I kind of feel like Ant-Man is a film that everybody watch. Like, I reckon Ant-Man, if you rank the Marvel films, the Ant-Man films would be like – kind of like everybody would put them above average, right? They're like, these are all good above average films. But they're not like ultra memorable films, right? They're not like, mm. man, I remember what happened in like, you know, Thor Ragnarok or whatever it is, right? It's like, oh, wow, like, you know, that film, you know, blah, blah, like Anthony Hopkins, well, like, what's his face? Odin dies and like, you know, like they, they lose Asgard and blah, blah. Well, while with that man, it's kind of just like, oh, yeah, I, I just remember it was really kind of fun, but kind of like you just move on to the next thing, right? So, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, it looks th- like it's a step above the Defenders series on Netflix. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, that's. I, I would probably. 
on some level, Ant-Man does feel like... You know, like, the way Marvel has done it is that they put their sort of less important stuff on TV, and then they put their main sort of blockbuster stuff on in the movies, right? And Ant-Man kind of feels like it's kind of in that gap between the TV and the movies, right? Obviously, the films themselves, like, are much better produced, I think, than the TV series. Um, but, um, yeah, like, in terms of the scope of the material, it, it feels like that sort of... Um, it feels like that TV... Well, slightly bigger than the TV niche, I guess, right? But, mm-hmm. um, yeah... I still think, though, like, I mean, it is, it is at the end of the day, it is a good film, and it, it does feel like a movie, right? Like, it's it's not, mm. yeah. Mm. Um, I also like about these Marvel films that they're not afraid to um, take time, right? Like, I mean, we're basically meant to believe that um, this film occurred, like, two years after Civil War, right? And mm. this film... I think physically in our world has appeared about two years after Civil War and they're kind of not afraid to kind of like how should I articulate this? I I think when you read comic books, right? Comic books, there's never a a sense of the flow of time, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I, I think Gerald you'd understand this, right? When you read say a Batman comic or something like that it's kind of, unless it's very distinctly like Batman is now ultra old, or this is ultra young Batman. Like, where it gets placed in the timeline is kind of just like, eh, whatever, right? This story can kind of... Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, like, it's like James Bond, because, I mean, James Bond um, exists in and out of time. Yes, so yes, exactly. So he stayed young forever, even though decades have passed since we first saw him. So, um, in a sense... He does, there is some continuity in the timeline, but there isn't, and he stays young forever, so he exists both in and out of time. And, yeah. and Batman, Superman, all, and all the other uh, uh, superhero comic characters that we love um, are like that. Yeah, and I, I feel like with Ant-Man, it's actually really clear that Marvel is not afraid of just saying, you know, time passes in this universe, right? And these guys are kind of going to get old. Like, you see his daughter age, right? Like, his daughter in the first film is, like, young. I mean, she's still young, but she's visibly aged. And they make no, like, they make no apology that two years has passed. Like, he hasn't been Ant-Man for two years. Like, he's been under house arrest, right? Which, in some ways, is kind of, like, refreshing, because it's not like these guys are out being heroes every day of the week. It adds weight to their adventures when they do go out adventuring, because it's not like they do this, like, seven days a week. While in mm. comic books, it feels like, you know, every afternoon... It's their job. Yeah, yeah. Wolverine and the X-Men are out on, like, sort of life-threatening adventures, right? Like, mm. that's not how, like, Scott Lang works, right? Like, he, he dons the Ant-Man suit, and everything, every time he does that, that's, like, a pretty special sort of occasion. Um, and, yeah, mm. I, I'm actually really glad that they they're not afraid of sort of tackling the time issue head on because I I think it makes for a more um, heroes that are more identifiable and it feels like, I mean, it feels like a more, like I feel more resonance with the universe as a result. Right. So, um, Mm. yeah. But it also reinforces the fact that Atman or Scott Lang is more of an everyman than almost any other hero in the, Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, he's just he's just a dude. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, he's, he's not he's not a he's not a billionaire tycoon. He's not a Norse god. 
Um, he is not um, the product of an experiment that took place in World War Two. He, you know, he's just a dude, and he happens to have chanced upon uh, Hank Pym and Hope and donned a suit and done some heroic deeds in the first Ant-Man and then made a bit of an ass of himself in Civil War. Um, and he's, and he's just, he's just, he's just a guy. And he's, you know, you look at his, you look at his mates, Louise and the, the two other guys, and they're, they're sort of all, they're, they're all schlubby mm. and they run a, a dinky little security firm. Um, uh, so he's probably, he's, he's, he's sort of the everyman of the, of, of the franchise. And in that respect, He's, he's, you know, he and Peter Parker are probably the most normal of the. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and I think it's important. Yeah, I think it's Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's important that you have heroes like that, right? Because you know, heroes like Captain America are like ideals almost, right? But the way they portray Scott Lang, like, is um, relatable. Yeah, super Ooh. relatable. And if you think about it, his main motivation in this film is basically. I want to be with my fa- I want to be happy with my family and I want to help this other family reunite right and where I can I want to help people like it, it, it's like a really relatable like down to earth type of scenario and I guess you know the result as we said is that it's probably not as memorable as some of the other stuff but when you're watching it I think part of like we've said how feel good it is but I think part of the reason why it is so so feel good is because it's it's so relatable and their motivations are so normal right like so mm-hmm. like you're not some sort of like super idealistic dude you're just a guy who just wants to have like a happy family which i think everybody like most most people can relate to right so yeah and i think i think that's one of the distinguishing features between the MCU and the DCEU you know, in the DCEU, you've got the, the, the heroes in the Justice League, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, um, Aquaman, um, The Flash, uh, and Cyborg. I mean, none of these is just a guy. They're all, um, they're all in the case of Superman and Wonder Woman, they're, they're sort of godlike or demigodlike. Um, Batman is uh, this sort of tortured business tycoon. And the other figures are all supernatural, and none of them feels as if they live in our world. Um, whereas, whereas Peter Parker and Scott Lang feel as if they do, and I think that that speaks to the versatility of of the Marvel universe. It's not just a, a then it's not just a one trick studio Marvel. Hmm. Um, they can make they can make the sort of grand um, mythic tale, and you know. That began modestly with the first Thor film, but it's steadily progressed so, and culminated in um, Avengers Infinity War. But they're capable of making smaller, funnier um, movies, movies that are almost in a different genre. If you, for, for instance, if you were to look at, say, Captain America Winter Soldier, which is sort of kind of like a paranoid political thriller, and then look at the first or second Ant-Man, both of which are more like lighthearted um, heist movies in the sort of Ocean's Eleven mold, uh, you, you 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 would struggle to think you would struggle to 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 recognise them as being having produced as having been produced by the same studio and in the same genre. But you know, and so we we do get 
more versatility and more variety in the Marvel Universe in a way that leaves, I think, DC currently for dead. Yeah, yeah. I, I think DC at this point, like, they've been left in the dust, right? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, okay, well, I think we've said a lot about this film. Do, do we want to have a chat about where we think Marvel is going? Um, so, Mag's had a look through the upcoming movie schedule. Um do you want to talk about this a bit, Max? Yeah, sure. So um, next year, the three movies are Captain Marvel, which is um, being released in March, Avengers 4, which is being released in May, and then Spider-Man 2, which is being released in July. Right. Mm. Is it interesting that they're no longer releasing any movies around Christmas? It seems like everything is packed towards... I wonder if it's because Disney want, doesn't want to conflict with Star Wars, like cannibalize their Star Wars sales. Did, did, Marvel, did Marvel ever do Christmas releases? I mean, Marvel, Marvel is sort of... Marvel's always the US summer. Is that right? I, I always thought... Look, maybe I'm wrong. The, 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 the latest... The, the movie in the Marvel Universe that got the latest release during the course of a particular year... And it's famous for this was the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, because Guardians was... of the Galaxy was came out I think in August or September in the US. Uh, so at the tail end of the summer, or well, or just as the 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 summer movie season was coming to an end, and no movie had ever grossed as much in August as Guardians of the Galaxy. So it was actually Guardians of the Galaxy proved that Marvel could make a shit ton of money. Mm even if it released a film outside the height of the summer movie season. Yeah. I mean, for me, it feels weird that we got six months to wait till the next Marvel film. It almost feels like every three months or so, I've got a Marvel film that I can, like, go to with my Coke and popcorn. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I think based on the schedule, it, it kind of feels like... Um, because Captain Marvel is going to be set in the past, I think, right? Like, I, I think what they've said is that Captain Marvel is going to be an 80s film or something like that. Um, so to explain to those of us who don't read the comics who Captain Marvel is, since he yeah. obviously plays a big part in the next Avengers movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't really know. Well, I haven't read comics for like 20 years now, really, but like, I don't really know who Captain Marvel is either. Um, <laughs> um and then I guess it's just on to Avengers 4. Because this film, like, as Gerald said, this film, Ant-Man and the Wasp, doesn't... Um, it, it it does kind of feel a little bit out of the whole Avengers Infinity War thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of unclear where it fits. I, I guess the only chronological point we get with Avengers Infinity War is the stinger, where everyone disappears and he's stuck in the... Quantum Realm. Quantum Realm. Yeah, mm. yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's going to be back for event. Like, he'll be back for Avengers 4. I, I don't think they're Definitely. Just, they're, they're going to just stick him in the Quantum Realm for, like, 40 years, like Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Spider-Man 2. And if you think about it, if, if in Avengers 4, all the old guard of the Avengers kind of disappear, so you won't have your Iron Man's and Captain America's anymore... You're going to be left with just everyman heroes, right? You're going to be left with, like, Peter Parker and Ant-Man. Wouldn't that be really weird? <laughs> but, and even Doctor Strange, right? Like, he's not really an idealistic hero, so... <laughs> yeah. 
Anyway, I'm, I'm very interested. I, I think one of the... Um, Marvel's passed a lot of tests to this point, but I'd be very interested in seeing how they continue to transition these universe, this universe, and whether they ever feel the need to pull the reboot button, like pull the reboot lever, right? Like can, stop it all and just do something completely different. What, well, in, I mean, stop it all and they, kind of reboot Captain America and start it all, start it all over again. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I really hope, I really hope they don't. They don't do that too soon. Um, you know, they've got a slate of really diverse characters. So, um, you know, I, I think we, we saw with the two amazing Spider-Man films that if you reboot, reboot a franchise too soon, mm. um, the results can be pretty catastrophic. Mm. Um, and so I hope they don't, they don't do that. And I think they're sort of savvy enough, um, not to. Having said that, there are a lot of, big names with contracts expiring very soon. So I think we speculated when we first, when we, when we first launched this podcast mm. that, uh, that Iron Man is not long for this world. Mm. And I think, I think I still believe that. Mm. Um, there's, there's a suggestion that Captain America uh, is not long for this world either, which I think is a bit of a shame because um, at least the last two Captain America films have been almost the sort of flagships and the, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I thought both Winter Soldier and Civil War were really accomplished um, films within this franchise. Um, so I think it'd be it'd be sad to see Chris Evans go, but you know his contract is coming to an end as well. But we, we've only just been introduced to a new slate of characters. So Black Panther, yeah, Spider Man, Black Panther um, is new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, Captain Marvel is coming up. Um, and so I think that there is a there there is a lot of fertile ground for Marvel Studios to explore outside of the previous outside of the old guard, um, not just Black Panther, but um, you know Spider Man. They can transition from say Peter Parker to Miles Morales, mm. who in the comic books um, is the new Spider Man and is um, speaks volumes to about the commitment of Marvel at least at the comic book level, to diversity, because here we've got a young... Spider-Man's now a, a young Latino kid. Mm. Um, so I think that there are all these directions that, that Marvel could go, and it would be it would be interesting to see them make the attempt. I think they should at least... They should at least try. They shouldn't simply hit the reboot button. They should actually see if they can navigate um, these shoals and shift the focus away from Iron Man and Captain America and... And and look at, and elevate such characters as Black Panther, Spider Man, and maybe even transition Spider Man to Miles Morales. Mm. Mm. Yeah, look, I agree. I, I think hitting the reboot button too soon would be a detriment. Um, okay, is there anything else we'd like to have a chat about in terms of Ant Man and the Wasp? I think generally we kind of all just liked it and thought it was like a great light-hearted film so <laughs> yeah is there anything else we, we want to have a chat about no i think that's it that was okay. great perfect okay so thanks so much everybody um to our loyal listeners all three of you um we're <laughs> trying to figure out what we we're, we're still committed to podcasting and we're trying to figure out what next to what next to podcast about what tv series we should pick so um, stay tuned, and if you've got any suggestions, 
please let us know in whatever whatever way you can. So, yeah, thanks so much, everybody. For maybe we'll come up with an email next time. Yeah, you can email. Oh, if you're listening on YouTube, you can just write it in the YouTube comments. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, thanks so much, everybody, for listening, and thanks so much, team, for another fun podcast. Bye. Bye. See you guys. Bye.